Only 2% of venture capital funding goes to female founders. These founders aren't household names like Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, or Bill Gates, but yet they've managed to build remarkable companies and raise venture funding. Welcome to She Ventures Forward, the podcast where we dive deep into the inspiring stories of trailblazing women who secured venture capital funding to build impactful companies. I'm your host, Natalie Abood, and each episode, we'll sit down with incredible female entrepreneurs who've navigated the competitive world of VC funding, discussing their triumphs, challenges, and invaluable lessons learned along the way. This is She Ventures Forward. Today, we have Kirtika Reddy here with us. Welcome, Kirtika. It's so great to have you here. It's so great to be here. I'm such an admirer of the podcast series that you're doing, Natalie. Well, Kirtika, you've had quite the impressive founding and investing background. I'll just give a quick overview for for everyone listening. So Kirtika was Facebook's first employee in India and their managing director for India and South Asia. She then co-founded the F7 Seed Fund, pooling capital with six other female executives who she all met at Facebook. She was the first female investing partner at SoftBank Investment Advisors and the manager of the $130 billion plus SoftBank Vision Fund. She is the president of Athena Tech and just raised $250 million for Athena SPACs. Currently, she is the co-founder of Lifterly Social Impact, an initiative focused on stepping up the careers of 10 million moms. She is also the co-founder of Virtualness, a mobile-first platform designed to help creators and brands navigate the complex world of blockchain and Web3. To date, she has deployed a billion dollars in new investments, led a portfolio of $5 billion across nine investments, has invested in two new unicorns and three companies that are currently publicly listed. Oh my goodness, Kirtika, wow, what what an impressive background. I, I'm not even sure where to start, so I think we should just go back to the beginning of your raising journey. So when you've raised money many times in your careers, whether it might be for your own company or a fund, can you talk about the first time you raised money for a company? What company was it from? How much did you raise? When was it? Natalie, I'm going to actually go reverse in chronological order because we will talk about moments that are very year and now. And um, my most recent raise was a 8 million raise. It was a 8 million seed raise for my blockchain and Gen AI company, Virtualness. Um, and um, we announced our raise in November of 2022. The last year has been about building. We launched our product on World Gratitude Day, September 21st, 2023. Uh, early revenue generating mode and are excited to be off and running. Um, and uh, yeah, 2024 is going to be an incredible year. That's fantastic. So how did you meet your first investor? Did you know them previously or did it come from them hearing about what you're building and they got excited? It, it was really a mix of all of the above, Natalie. Uh, I would say it first started when we were validating our business idea with creators, who is the audience that we serve. And when some of those creators turned back and said, oh, we would love to invest in this idea, for us, that was incredible validation. If you have the audience that you're serving telling you that they would like to write a check in your venture, check, check, check. And of course, these are people whom we had uh, uh, earlier relationships with. Many of them were people uh, who in my earlier career, Myself and my co-founder, we helped them create their first Facebook page, their first Instagram page, and they're part of their journey to becoming global influencers. So circling right back, I, I think a big part of it was the trust factor uh, that they had in having been on this journey together, where they said they wanted to bet on us leading the next technology wave and how it could serve them. So that's where it started. And from there, it went to 
other angel investors, people that we knew, uh, and that led to uh, institutional uh, investments. Um, our target was a five million raise. Uh, we were very humble when we were over, very oversubscribed, uh, and we closed at uh, uh, eight million uh, when we announced our uh, seed raise, Natalie. That's that's so incredible. So if you don't mind me asking, where did the idea of integrating blockchain and Web3 in a creator platform come from? Because you you yourself weren't a creator, right? So uh, the idea came from having been with uh, platforms like Facebook, like Instagram, uh, seeing the power of one blockchain and Web3, but also at that same time, generative AI was picking up. Although I have to be... Uh, um, I have to tell you, our first pitch deck did not have Gen AI in it, but very rapidly it became a core part of our strategy uh, because it was really fundamentally changing uh, the industry. Um, so um, uh, as we were thinking about, um, this is myself and my co-founder who used to run uh, the creator economy uh, and media and entertainment for Facebook in Asia Pacific. We started projecting the future, thinking about how these new technologies are going to impact the world. And uh, while the current distribution, current platforms give creators, brands, sports a lot of distribution, uh, many platforms are significantly lacking in monetization um, and the whole ownership between the creator uh, and the fans. And we wanted to shift the pendulum with this new technology. And we said, let's do this. If not now, when? If not as who? Uh, and it was almost a calling to go uh, from virtual as that way. So you received great feedback from everyone. What's the biggest challenge you have right now when scaling? So the biggest challenge that we have right now, um, are we took a platform approach, Natalie, um, which comes with its pros and cons, right? The pros is it's a platform and we are already seeing incredible adoption across different segments that we serve. Uh, we have um, um, an exclusive partnership with Liga One, which is the largest football league uh, in um, uh, Asia, where they use our platform for on-chain um, digital assets, fan experiences, Web3 gaming. We have an exclusive with the Philippines Basketball Association. So whether it's the large sports teams, whether it's our work with over 100 global creators as we launched across fitness, wellness, uh, beauty, skincare, um, expert coaches and the like. Um, we are. It's beautiful to see that vision come come alive. Um, the challenge of so that's the pro of being a platform. But going to the challenge, a platform can be used in so many different ways. So if you look ten different directions and you see a hundred opportunities. But as a startup, one has to focus. Like do two things or one thing really, really well, make that successful and then go to the next one. And so it's making sure that we're making the right bets on the right markets, the right segments, the right uh, solutions among the plethora of options that we have in front of us is the biggest thing that my co-founder and I spend a lot of time thinking about. You don't want to boil the ocean, but you know what? I think that's a that's a good problem to have. There's so many opportunities and so many places for you to go. You need to pick just one before you move to every single one, which which is not a, a problem a lot of startup founders have. So I, I would say that's an accomplishment. Well, we'll take that. And um, <laughs> it speaks to our excitement of um, all that we can do. Um, and uh, we do have incredible advisors, investors to help us um, uh, with our thinking. It's so 
natural to have found a blind spots mm-hmm. even though i've been built very large businesses you know facebook india today is over um a billion dollars um in revenue um and uh, you know all my investments deployed over a billion dollars of new investment while I was at SoftBank, it's still very easy to have found a blind spot. So to have a group of trusted advisors with whom you can you know, talk about your questions, get, tell it like it is advice, um, has been invaluable, uh, Natalie, in our journey. Yes. And I, I want to turn to your second company, actually, Literally Social Impact, because you're not just a one-time founder. You, you've engaged on many ventures. So the platform is focused on stepping up the careers of 10 million moms. Did you did you get the inspiration for creating a platform like that from your own experience, from the women around you? I'd love to hear more about that. Natalie, I often say that the reason I'm working so hard to make uh, virtualness a $10 billion company is so that I can fund more initiatives like <laughs> Lutri, um, which is a social impact uh, initiative focused on working mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, Natalie, the numbers globally are quite dismal. We see a 39% drop-off of women mid-career, largely due to caregiving needs, children, parents, come back, thrive in their careers, 50% have a challenge, and 25% never come back. If you see that kind of a drop-off mid-career, how are we ever going to get to the 50-50 at the sea level that we are all craving for and that the world really needs? Um, So that was a problem statement. And um, uh, as, um, as we looked around, there are some incredible organizations that are focused on as women drop off of work, how do we get them back? So this is a return to work. Whereas where we saw a gap um, was in the space of how do we take a holistic view and help young adults like yourself, whom, for whom you know maternity might be many, many years later, but- Many years away. <laughs> decisions, exactly, right? Um, but you know there are decisions that are being made uh, by people through the journey um, there are people thinking through the what ifs as they get closer to that milestone. So how is it that we support women through that journey long before they get to that point where they feel, oh my God, they have to drop off. And of course, fully supportive of everybody in every decision that we that they make. But if there are ways that we can stem that curve and go from 39% to 35% to 30% and lower um, and, and really have an integrated view across the life cycle, um, what is the change that, that that can drive in the world? That was the genesis of the idea. And so uh, what Liftry does is one has a ton of original content. Uh, this is from uh, women um, who, have, who are across different segments in healthcare, in fintech, in retail, uh, medicine, and Olympic uh, athlete. And how is it that they have uh, embraced both a thriving career and ambitious family goals. So that's one segment too. There's a lot of job listings for uh, flexible roles, um, which is what a lot of uh, women need to tide um, through uh, the, the the caregiving needs. Uh, and um, um, there are also partnerships with Lean-In where there are uh, Lean-In mom circles. Uh, I think there are about 12 of them right now. And at the beginning of the year launched in uh, uh, the Middle East um, uh, as well, as well as in India. So it's really exciting to see something that's started your glowing uh, global, Natalie. 
you know what? It's such a massive problem. And I love because you hear the problem, not enough women are returning back to work. Um, and there are so many different facets you could take down in order to solve it. And I think the approach of helping women try to find more part-time work and encouraging them to be able to do what they want to do. I think that's, that's so special. Um, so congratulations on that. That's amazing. Um, out of curiosity, how did you get the funding for that? Because this is, this is a social impact, uh, venture. So did you take the traditional route of looking for venture capitalists to fund or was it a different way? So, um, uh, so Liftree was was bootstrapped and is largely bootstrapped at this point. And then we have some incredible well-wishers who believe in the cause. Uh, we thought a lot about whether this should be a nonprofit or not, mm-hmm. but we actually set it up as not a nonprofit because we did not want this to be, quote-unquote, charity. This is a business issue, a social uh, issue, and an economic issue, uh, and which is why it was set up. Uh, more as a social impact uh, initiative rather than a 501c3 uh, nonprofit. Uh, And so the intention is uh, to get this to the venture-funded path. So I would say it's coming soon in terms of uh, uh, the uh, venture side and um, conversations with venture funds who are focused on impact is one path where Liftree will go to naturally. That's Wow. And so for anyone here who's in the impact side, who is listening and who believes in this as an uh, economic uh, opportunity, uh, please uh, write to me and we'd love to chat um, on both the military <laughs> side. Uh, and if you're, uh, again, into next generation technology, uh, thinking about platforms that are really changing how creators, brands, sports um, do fan engagement and uh, drive monetization, also reach out to me. Yes. Yeah, so many reasons to reach out to you. Um, so that's one side of your career, the the startup, the creating actual businesses. I want to turn to the investment journey. So let's let's start at SoftBank. At SoftBank, you were the first female investment partner. How do you think having a female partner in the business changed the culture, if it had any effect? Such a great question. Um, and I look back on my journey at SoftBank on one hand, all of the investing stats that you spoke about uh, so beautifully, the billion dollars invested, uh, a portfolio of 5 billion um, board roles at private companies, companies that went public. Um, and um, uh, so I look back with um, great satisfaction and fondness with all the work that I did on that side, Natalie. But I look back with just as much appreciation uh, about the work that I was able to do on the diversity, um, uh, equity, and inclusion side. Uh, And we approached it in three different dimensions. Uh, One is uh, a real focus internally. So we created uh, affinity groups for women, LGBTQ, parenting groups, made sure each one of them had an executive sponsor uh, so that we could understand the unique needs of uh, women investors um, and, and what is it that the firm could do better to support more of them. And I am so proud, uh, uh, Natalie, that when I left, um, uh, I was not still the only uh, female investment partner. We had two more female investment partners and now we have a managing partner as well. And nothing gives me greater joy than seeing those numbers grow. So that was pillar one. Uh, Pillar two, we also looked at how is it that we invest in Um, rising uh, leaders from across the portfolio companies. So I was the executive sponsor for 
a program called Connect and Lead that was led by some incredible women investors like Angela Du, um, who maybe um, brought together rising female leaders from across the portfolio companies and gave them a platform for creating the business networks that come so naturally for men. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do we create those networks? And the third pillar was uh, being an executive sponsor for uh, Emerge Accelerator, uh, which is uh, accelerator for diverse for brilliant companies founded by diverse founders. And there, uh, Natalie, the seed there was, uh, at that time, the minimum check size for SoftBank was 100 million. Uh, and uh, what we realized is that there are not that many companies of female uh, founders, diverse founders, where we could write that kind of a check. And we said, okay, maybe we have to start at the grassroots to get more founders to jump in into the space so that they could grow to a place where SoftBank could write, you know, that hundred million dollar check. So um, those are some examples of real impact of um, uh, what um, I was able to do. And uh, the firm uh, was incredibly um, supportive um, and uh, right from the CHRO to the managing partners, uh, the managing partner I worked most closely with and for was someone called Deep Nishar, uh, who is now the general catalyst. And it takes incredible allies across the organization. And he certainly was one, Natalie. So talk, talk about a change in investing culture. That's that's really fantastic. So my biggest takeaway from all that is that it takes great allies within the organization and outside of the organization to really make diversity happen, correct? I could not um, emphasize what you just said enough. Um, I will also say, Natalie, that change happens partly in some of these big initiatives that we spoke about, but change also happens in the Mm day-to-day. I remember coming out from an investment um, um, committee meeting where someone looked at me and said, Kirtika, did you see that when that woman was speaking, everyone was speaking over her? And as I reflected back, I said, oh my God, yes, that was the case, but I actually did not notice it while I was there. Um, Mm -hmm. And I, given the vocal advocate that I am, should have noticed it, should have highlighted it, should have created that space for her. Uh, But I didn't, not because I wasn't fully invested in it, but but it wasn't something that I was watching out for. Uh, So I would just emphasize that there is so much that we can do on both the day-to-day and it's as much about the day-to-day changes that we make uh, as it is about the big initiatives. And I'll give you one more example on the small changes. We had a speaker who was coming in and um, um, they were bringing in um, their colleagues to also speak. I got the list of people who were coming. It was all men. And I wrote back and I said to them, I'm sure that you have some amazing women colleagues as well that you can bring. Um, And uh, that's all I needed to say. (laughs) And uh, they indeed brought incredible women colleagues. And um, really, it made for such a different, a better event. So it is in the big, it is in the allies. It's also in the day to day. That's that's great. I have a follow-up question on this. So in in the last episode, when I talked to Manisha about what her experience was like being a woman in, you know, in this in a company, she brought up that diversity begets diversity. People want to work for more diverse companies, um, more diverse leaders with people who look like them, for people who may look like people they know. What what do you think of that? Do you think that happened at SoftBank? So very it's it's very true um that um, people look for that familiarity. 
uh, and I experienced it in two different ways. One was um, when I joined as a first female investment partner, there were people who said, really, do you want to go into a firm where you will be the first female investment partner? Do you even know whether they will accept accept um, a female investment partner? Um, and I took that as if I don't do it, if, if everybody has the same view of they do not want to be the first, then there will never be a first, there will never be a second. Right. Uh, so I saw that as an opportunity and a challenge. Um, so that's uh, view one. Two, uh, we did institute, and again, this was championed by a CHRO, um, uh, the, the, the slate method of interviewing, where we made sure that every interview loop had at least one diverse person uh, in, in the loop because it makes a ton of difference about the experience that people have uh, and what is it, whether they see themselves fitting in and belonging to that organization, Natalie. Those are all all such important things and thing that, things that I'm thinking about as well as I, as I approach my own career. Switching a little bit away from your role at SoftBank, what was your intention for entering the investing arm of a big company at first instead of going off and doing your own fund? It's so interesting that sometimes... Sometimes things are planned and sometimes um, things come to you. In this case, um, I'd left uh, Facebook. I took a all life, a three month all life no work break, which by the way is something that I fully recommend for people in different stages of their career. All life, um, no work. I heard something similar from someone where, um, this woman was telling me her and her husband, they take little mini retirements over the course of their life. So they're not working and working only to plateau at retirement. They work and then they retire, then they work and then they retire. And that they take little mini like work breaks in between and they, and they live life completely. I love that. That's great. So fully recommended. <laughs> and um, uh, when I did that, by the way, with Facebook, uh, Natalie, you should know that some of my best uh, well-wishers told me, don't do that. You lose all your negotiating leverage if you do that. Go get another role and then take a break. Um, but I, at that point, I actually just really wanted to spend time with my two girls. My oldest was two years away from going to high school. And I heard this stat, Natalie, um, in actually a Facebook conference where they were talking about the use case for augmented reality and virtual reality. And they said, in the U.S., 95% of your face time with your child is done by the time they go to college. And hence, you need augmented reality, virtual <laughs> reality. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so my heart, of course, stopped at the first part of that sentence because I had two more years for my daughter. And I started waking up to that stat. And I said, oh, my God, I have one day less, one day less. Um given the intensity of my role building Facebook in India and then my role um, in an emerging markets capacity, things had been really intense uh, and I did not want to look back on not having spent enough time with my children before they went, uh, which led to my three-month all-life noble breaks. So when I took that break, I had well-wishers say, don't do it. And I told them, I don't believe I'm losing my career high, but even if I did, I'd much rather look back on missing a career high than look back on and regret not having the time with my kids. And sure enough, um, I, I still have you know a few more decades of my career and my best is yet to come, Natalie. Um, <laughs> the best is and yet so to come. totally. Um, and so so it was during that break 
I actually thought I was going to go be a CEO of an early stage startup, but the break also gave me time to think, to explore, um, and to uh, also react to really interesting inbound opportunities. Um, the the When I joined SoftBank, just the whole notion of being able to apply the skills of what I had learned to help multiple founders across multiple uh, industries um, be successful and build their businesses was really, really appealing as a way to leverage my skills and my expertise, uh, which is what I did. The first three segments that I worked on when I was with SoftBank was one, quantum computing, two, uh, additive manufacturing, uh, and three, I went in with a thesis of uh, um, uh, tech-enabled mental wellness solutions. So those were the three areas that I worked on, and I led SoftBank's first quantum computing investment, first additive manufacturing investment, first mental wellness um, investment. Um, and I, um, again, and, and the ability to scale what I know uh, through um, through the founders um, that I had the opportunity uh, to work with uh, and impact all of these different industries is truly priceless. Yes. And now you take all that knowledge and all that experience investing in these new industries and you bring it to your own fund, which I love. Right. <laughs> to so, my own fund and then now my own company. Exactly. Exactly. The best is very much yet to come. So looking at the F7 fund that you raised with the other uh, women from Facebook, um, I want to talk about the way that you started the fund. How did you do it? Because th there's not enough women who own funds. The the stats for the amount of women who are partners in large venture funds are are honestly quite sad. So plain and simple, or as simply as you possibly can, what would be the steps to start a venture fund? Um, the first step to start a venture fund is actually to do angel investing. So let's start with that, right? And the beauty is people have this notion that you need to be a millionaire to be able to do angel investing and you need to have a very, very large bank balance. Uh, I will tell you, Natalie, that for my company, Virtualness, we raised $8 million. The smallest check size was a $3,000 check by a woman product manager who really wanted to build her track record in investing. Wow. And so, you know, you don't need to have even tens of thousands of dollars to be able to do angel investing, you can get started with angel investing um, in in uh, in really incredible companies. Um, and so start early because that is what then will give you the credibility and the learnings also to learn what does it take to invest? What do you look for? Uh, and hopefully you actually have like a track record that you can show to your um, uh, LPs when you're going out and trying to raise um, a fund, right? So, so I I um, um, genuinely cannot emphasize that enough. Is we don't have enough women on cap tables of companies um, as well in any aspect, whether it is as institutional investors or even the ratio of angel investors, male to female. Um, and so, start start investing uh, and start early. So that's step one. Uh, step two is the classic, thinking through the questions of what are the areas um, that you want to invest in, creating your investment thesis, making sure that that's large enough, um, thinking through what is your differentiator, how is it that you can uniquely have a differentiated um, access to um, incredible companies, and how is it that you will actually win um, the ability to invest in those companies because whenever there is a hot company, they have they are multiple times oversubscribed. So how what is your differentiator that will make the founder take a check from you? So think through all of that. 
Um, and then the fundraising is actually um, uh, pretty similar to the fundraising process um, that a company goes through in that um, um, a core start is um, people that you know uh, and people who can write that um, LP check for you, whatever your minimum threshold size is, so 100,000, half a million, um, and, and over um, get that base together. Also look at incredible organizations that focus on emerging managers. Uh, there's a lot of organizations that are looking to invest in emerging managers. I just spoke to Winter Mead from Cool Water Capital. I was just interacting with him this week. That's just one example. Uh, so look for people, you know, Bank of America has an emerging markets uh, managers program. Look for organizations that are focused on this problem. Always is an incredible organization uh, that actually um, has very specific goals on investing the number of women founders and funders, and they have an emerging managers program as well. Uh, so think about your thesis, look for uh, people that you know, uh, who know you, know your abilities and are willing to take that bet. Look for emerging managers programs uh, and off you go. Off you go. And did you find that because you were a fund comprised of women managers and women leaders, did you find that women-led companies were much quicker to flock to you than the traditional large VCs you see in Silicon Valley? So um, uh, I would say uh, yes to that, but I would also say, you know, the other key differentiator was, um, if you look at F7, it was a group created by strong operators. We had all mm -hmm. built businesses of several billions. Uh, so that also is a differentiator where a lot of VC funds that you talk to are led by people who have risen through from the financial side of the house, not necessarily the operating side. Right. Um, and so a lot of uh, founders were, were drawn as much to the identity. Um, uh, and, and by F7 invests in both male and female and all kinds mm -hmm. of uh, diverse founders. So it is, it, it's not, it's while the, the uh, co-founders were women, the investors are, uh, the investments go across male and female uh, founders, male, female, non-binary, all, all kinds of diversity, Natalie. So what is the biggest mistake you see new fund owners make? So the biggest mistakes that I've seen early fund managers make. One mistake I have seen is um, stayed to their original vision of raising a 50 million fund uh, and they got there but it could have been very easy for them to just take cues from the external environment that said, just do a 10 million fund. Um, two, the anchoring could also go the other way around, uh, where it's about knowing your network, your capability, your reach, um, and um, not anchoring too high either. Uh, so one is the anchoring, where you anchor the fund. Two is um, the right scoping for the fund. Uh, I've seen fund pitches where the fund pitch looks exactly like 30 other pitches uh, and there is no differentiation. They all have the same thesis, um, all have the same differentiator, um, in which case it is not a differentiator. And sometimes there almost seems to be the what do LPs want to hear versus this is what the fund manager truly believes in. Uh, so I'd say just digging deep. 
um, it's like when you write your Stanford Business School essay or any of your essays is look deep inside um, about your strengths and where what your true beliefs are versus trying to cater to what you think the other person might want to hear. Um, and uh, while there are certainly, um, certainly there is an aspect about phrasing things in a way that is easily understandable by the other person, uh, but just staying true to what you call your core hypothesis thesis are um, and having the right data points uh, to uh, showcase why you're different and why you are poised for success. Wow. That's great. So if any if anyone's listening who wants to start their own fund, you now have this have all the steps and have all the common mistakes people make. So you're ready to go. Let's let's shift to some pieces of advice. What advice do you have for aspiring female founders looking to raise venture capital or to start companies of their own? Look deep within, know what your North Star is of what you are striving for, and more importantly, the why. Building anything is has its ups, has its down. And um, it is so important to be anchored in your North Star or what you're going for. That helps mm-hmm. you tie through the ups and downs. So that's one. Two, surround yourself with people who believe in you almost more than you believe in yourself. Uh, whether it is people that you co-opt as co-founders, people that you have in your advisory board, people that you just hang out with over the evening while where you just need to let off steam of the day. <laughs> Um, and t- talk to them about like the 10 rejections that you got, which will then lead to, you know, the one yes that is around the corner waiting for you. Uh, so surround yourself with uh, incredible people. Find the right allies. Um, Natalie, I have memories of both where, um, you know, a male investor advocated that when I was in my investing avatar, that uh, oversubscribed round, the CEO must have me on the cap table uh, because of the differentiator that I would bring. Otherwise, it's very easy for men to just get looped in into the same network and have their friends come into the cap table. Uh, so to really have someone advocate for you. Uh, so look for those male allies, whether it's from a cap table perspective, whether it is from a company and an operating perspective, surround yourself with people who can really help you uh, build your business and then go out and do it. Go out and do it. <laughs> yep. Just simple as that. <laughs> Yes. So how do you think the fundraising process has changed for women from when your career first started to when you're doing it now? There is a lot more support now than Mm -hmm. there was before. There still can be 10x more, but organizations like Always do not exist. Um, We do not not have as many female founders to look up to, as many female founders who have taken their companies public. There are a lot more road models now than there were even a few years ago. All that said, biases still exist. And also being knowing that uh, it's not personal. It's a lot of this is just systematic. uh, And uh, you just have to go through the steps, the milestones. It's a pipeline game. Have the right conversations and stay focused on your North Star. Surround yourself with people who believe in you uh, and take each day as it comes. Focus on your North Star. And are there any unique challenges and advantages you think that women have or women entrepreneurs have in the fundraising process? Natalie, what you're reminding me of, one time when I was talking to a CEO and I was trying to invest in an oversubscribed round and they told me, I'm like 10x oversubscribed. I don't know whether we will be able to take this check. And I looked at him and I said, so just curious, like how many women do you have, uh, women <laughs> investors do you have who are 
having this conversation with you. And it is such an unconscious bias because until that moment, I don't even think he consciously thought about this. Hmm. And he said, oh, you know, none. You're the only woman <laughs> investor that I'm having this conversation with. To which I said, I think that diversity is really going to help you to bring different perspectives to your cap mm-hmm. table and help you build a more successful company. I do not know whether the net outcome of me being able to invest was related to that conversation or not, but <laughs> I was able to invest in the company and the company is doing uh, really well. Yeah, so um, so that's just, just one example of hitting those barriers up front and calling that out um, as a way to also change the outcome of what might otherwise have been actually. But you know what? That's why having women on boards, having women founders, having women investors is so important because diversity brings diversity of thought and diversity of opportunity and diversity of outcomes. So I I really appreciate what you just said. It's very important. Natalie, in this world, especially with um, everything being AI first, it is so important that these systems have diverse inputs that are going into these systems so that we build human-centered, ethical, innovative products. Um, So yes, here is to a world of 50-50 of diversity in all formats. And kudos to you again for this podcast and the passion that you bring to this cause. Yes. And last question, because we've gone way, way over time, because I had so many follow-up questions that weren't in my notes already. If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently, if anything? I would do everything sooner. I would be doing angel investing sooner. I would think of myself as a risk taker in a lot of different dimensions, but I would push on that risk taking bar even uh, further. I had an opportunity to be an entrepreneur early on when I was doing my undergrad. And at that time, it felt so foreign to me because I wasn't surrounded by entrepreneurs at that point. Uh, and I so I still regret that I did not take that plunge then. But we all have long careers. We'll all live to be 80, 90, 100 or beyond unless <laughs> something untoward happens. And so uh, for me, this is almost a full circle moment where I get to go build my company now. And so if I had to do things differently, I would be even more open to opportunities, lean in more, take more risks, start my investing uh, career, including angel investing. Uh, a lot earlier being on the other side as a fund as a person as a as a ceo and a founder raising funds the check size almost doesn't matter as much as the sense of belief and trust that you get from the other side making an investment i would have absorbed that much more faster uh, and again started that investing journey much earlier yes start early take risks try out new things all very important pieces of of life advice. So thank you so much. This has been incredible. It's been amazing to have you on the podcast. So thank you so much, Kirtika. Well, here's to a 50-50 world and here's to everyone doing their bit, big and small to get there. Thank you so much, Kirtika. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of She Ventures Forward. Don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications for the next episode. If you're a female founder, reach out. We'd love to have you on the podcast. Tune in next time.